Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, occasional disgusting filmmaker and completely baffled by this film. And joining us tonight, he is the director of the Fryfest 2019 selection, I Trap the Devil, it's Mr. Josh Lobo. Josh, hello! Hi, how's, how's it going guys? Very well, thank you Josh, and thank you for doing this, uh, and thank you for bringing a film that... When we started watching it, my wife was like, oh god, this terrified me. By about the halfway mark, she was like, I don't think I'm thinking of the same film. This is one of my like favorite movies of all time. I love it so much because as a child, I, I just I watched it on like, you know, Cinemax at eleven o'clock at night and it just baffled me. I, I was so I was <laughs> so ter- terrified, but like in, in a different way than I usually mm-hmm. was, you know, when watching like horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's just such a weird thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this kind of that kind of answers what I was about to ask you um, because we kind of we talked about a couple of things and a couple of films when we were originally talking about you coming on to do this. So what was it that made you settle on the Mothman prophecies? I don't know. I, I've been. It's it's one of those movies that I think about almost every day, quite literally. I have the score by Tom and Dandy on my phone and um, there's there's like the theme song it's like it's called Half Light and I, I listen to that a lot while I like go for like a run or go for like a bike and um, yeah and it, it's just a really kind of catchy tune it's just a movie that I, I, I don't feel like I I really hear people talk about it at all and it's, yeah. it's perfect for kind of right now I feel like horror is sort of going through this like a vague period like all the kind of cosmic horror things that I, I see are, are, you know, they keep their like entities kind of vague. And, and I think this fits perfectly into that. Okay. Well, yeah, this this hear that. film certainly, certainly does do that. Um, so you saw it for the first time. Yeah, I must admit, I knew virtually nothing about this going in. Josh, um, I, it's kind of a running joke on the show that I generally am watching these things for the first time and Andy has generally seen them all. <laughs> um, uh, so I remember so I don't know how old you were Josh when this came out um, when did it come out again what year? 2002? 2002 2002 okay so I would have been 16 I would have been 10 oh okay okay okay. 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 and I would have been yeah. old as fuck <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember it existing also when I was 16 I was a massive horror wimp as well so I just wasn't going near anything like that at that time um, I remember it existing like I remember seeing the poster for it and I remember recognising the faces um, but I knew so little about it before we sat down to watch it the other night that I genuinely did not realise that um, I, th- I thought that the title of the film was The Mothman Prophecies as in prophecies by someone whose surname was Mothman <laughs> oh. <laughs> like that's that's how far like wide of the mark I was swinging. So yeah, it was um yeah it was a first watch for me. I think that it feels kind of of its time. Oh yeah, in a way. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, Andy, uh, yeah, had it been I, a while since you'd seen it? It had been a long time since I saw it. I got it out of a blockbuster video on DVD with uh, my girlfriend at the time, 
mm-hmm. I remember being confused and it, it, like I, I felt at the time like I wasn't really paying attention but having now watched it with the benefit of some years and I, actually actively paying attention I'm not really any clearer okay <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can start getting into the mysteries of it in a sec but um Josh don't know if you've heard the show before but we do have uh, something that we make everyone do when they come on, which is, um, for the, and this could actually be a, a pretty interesting one, because a lot of the time people say, we um, hear from listeners that say that they sometimes listen to episodes of the show without having seen the film. So Andy is going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in, and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30-second synopsis of the Mothman prophecies. Are you ready, sir? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, you, you sound confident. <laughs> right. Um, okay. By the way, so we had AJ Bowen on the show before, uh, and I know you've, you've worked with AJ. AJ, AJ did terribly famously bad yeah his film was his film was uh uh, jaws the revenge and you should go back and just even if you don't listen to the episode just listen to his attempt at this it's staggering (laughs) (laughs) right but to business uh right okay here we go three two one go so uh i I think he's a washington post column columnist his name is john klein and him and his wife just they close the deal on a house and they're driving back, and um, they get in a car crash, and his his wife is ho- hospitalized, and then soon thereafter dies of, of a brain tumor. And uh, the main character, John, basically discovers that she has all of these drawings of this sort of vague entity. Time, Josh, time. I'm afraid I'm going to need to stop you. That was 30 seconds? That was 30 <laughs> seconds, my friend. It's uh, But that's... Oh. It's... <laughs> So basically, a, a, a guy uh, gets in a car crash and uh, his wife is, dies of cancer. There you go. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what the movie's about. Yeah. It's first ten. It's, it's really, f- it's really sad. It's like beaches. <laughs> uh, first ten pages giant, syndrome gets everyone with this. Giant, uh, giant moth guy causes bridge to collapse. There <laughs> we go. Like, just pitch it in the style of newspaper headlines like that. <laughs> By the way, just jumping very briefly to the end. The, the ending's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. The movie's so weird. It um, there's there's a few movies that I kind of I would like lump them together. Okay. Um, for for me, this feels sort of like an X Files episode. Yeah, that's exactly what I said while we were watching. Yeah. I feel like the X Files just captured like such a time and a place because you know without the internet was so vague that like you could you could look this kind of shit up and um but you know there there wasn't someone on twitter to immediately immediately like debunk you and just like no that that's false you know so people kind of just made their their minds kind of went wild i i would put like this and like the x-files and like richard kelly's the box right yeah yeah mm-hmm. i just like kind of like lump those together as like these weird and enigma movies that just have like a very like strong tone okay yeah okay i I, I can kind of see why you would pair those things also in the early running it feels a bit like a kind of late 90s erotic thriller yeah yeah kind of yeah yeah i can see that's probably why i watched it on (laughs) (laughs) I, i just remember being terrified of as as a kid you know i i i was so I was a super sheltered youth, um, and so I didn't really get to like see a lot of horror movies. And I, I remember just like catching bits and pieces of this on on a TV channel at night, and just being like so uncomfortable by it because you know the, I knew what the Mothman was. Um, my family has roots in Virginia, so it's like a like a known thing, but. The, the movie has no creature in it really per se nope. like you don't really ever see a creature and i remember being like very like off put by the fact that 
I couldn't like put what I was scared of, like an image to to what it was that I was scared of. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. That's so. That's it's kind of an interesting thing. It's worth asking if you say like uh, your family's from Virginia. So yeah. To what extent is the Mothman kind of like uh, kind of widely acknowledged thing? I think in the states it is definitely like you know there's like a couple things that that are kind of wididly known urban legends you know there's bigfoot and um like jersey, you know the like jersey devil jersey devil uh area 51 ufos and then the mothman and especially right. back east like the mothman is like a pretty big entity right and you know basically its entire mo was that when you see this thing it basically is like prophesizing some sort of natural disaster based this movie is you know very loosely based on a true story about the bridge collapse and you know leading up to that all these people you know different people in point pleasant virginia said that they had like had had the same vision from an entity so yeah i mean it's it's kind of the the realist is like you know these people probably had like a nightmare something huh. bad was going to happen and then you know a, a bridge just collapses but um the, the entire town like the entire point pleasant town is basically it's basically like like Roswell, you know, with aliens, it's it's kind of transformed into this Mothman yeah. place. I'm guessing, right. okay. I'm guessing it probably has a similar kind of vibe to places up round about Loch Ness here. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. That's the same okay. kind of just yep. these like widely known urban legends. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Again, going into this knowing nothing, when you see the names coming up at the start of this, this kind of I was I kind of felt like it reads like the cast of an Oscars film, and then I realized that the reason that that is is because it literally is the cast of a oscars film because of course yeah. it was just a few years earlier that you had these your front two here uh, richard Gere and laura linney both in uh, primal fear that's right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i remember as like a kid and like the inner when like the internet was like first not first in swing but like you know it started to become like an entity and um i like would look this movie up and I'd just like look up Richard Gere and then find some like weird like <laughs> shit about it. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's being very diplomatic. Is this how you ended up with safe searches on your internet at home? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, like a 12 year old like looking up Richard Gere and the Mothman and like finding, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you mean gerbil? Yeah, yeah. Like, hold on a second. <laughs> The gerbil story, sure, sure. But we won't we won't dwell on that no, too much. No. Uh, apart from the fact that he obviously <laughs> didn't do it, and uh, why would you? It's yeah, play. yeah, it's play. Um, that's the real urban legend. <laughs> far more, a far more compelling than the Mothman. <laughs> Come on now. Um, see again, watching this for the first time. When the way this opens up, I had no idea the kind of film you were getting. Because like um, when you see kind of uh, Richard Gere as obviously being this kind of like uh, hotshot journalist at the Washington Post, and then he kind of goes out and him and his wife kind of they give this kind of like madly in love vibe. They go and buy the house. So they get caught by the realtor about to have sex in the cupboard. All this kind of thing. I think they do have sex because when they're <laughs> when they're caught in the cupboard, for one, this must happen all the time because the realtor guy doesn't look in the least bit concerned. <laughs> Uh, it's like, come on, guys. He's just, oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a, the second today. But then they buy the house purely so they can finish having sex. <laughs> That's an expensive like, one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's commitment for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but like with the kind of like, because I think that kind of the opening when you see Richard leave work and all that kind of thing, it's like quite talky. 
and um and like quite rapid fire and then you see this kind of thing and that kind of when the realtor captures them in the cupboard is kind of funny i think not knowing what this film was going to go on to be i think that the opening of this kind of throws you for a loop when you realize what you like when you look at the film you eventually get it's a kind of zodiaciness like that kind of i'm a paper man and uh, this is my lovely wife and family and then it, it doesn't go back to that really at all no i mean it pulls away from that really dramatically yeah it's it's definitely i i I don't want to say it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's a psychological thriller, but I, I definitely feel like it's more of um like a, like a paranoid thriller about like kind of like UFO witnesses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it just takes, for me, it takes in that kind of chintzy, like early 2000s way, it kind of takes that seriously. You know, these characters aren't just like bumbling, like UFO fanatics. For me, it, it's a little bit more ominous than that. Oh, for sure, sure. And I, I think uh, as it progresses and, and Richard Gears kind of starts to unravel a bit more is when it starts getting a, a, that bit more interesting, the, the kind of deeper into his descent into, is this real? Am I imagining all of this? That, that's certainly where it gets more exciting for me, more interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I, I don't know. It, it just has a weird tone that, like, drew me in, you know, ever since I ever since I was a child, I... Um, you know, or early teen, I guess. I was just really drawn to it. I, I just thought that it was. I, I like movies where the the threat itself is maybe not so literal, right? As, as it is kind of this like omnipresent thing. You know, I mean, like in this, you know, there's not like a giant moth creature, you know, killing people in the town. It's more just like all these people like prophesizing about doom, and they have like no idea in what capacity that's going to take place yeah and i think um to to just kind of to just kind of frame the story to get to that part of the discussion basically yeah the kind of idyllic richard gear life that you see is kind of shattered because his wife dies in a car crash literally as they're driving home from having bought the house i think that's a crash itself looks really good yeah 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 i think is that not the moment you see the closest kind of representation of the mothman I think that I, yeah, I, yeah, it's about it's about, the, it's about the most you see, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because it kind of like kind of like rushes at the car, you know. You get like this like very weird, again like two thousands VFX shot. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> this like black shape just like you know shoots towards the car. I feel like though that kind of sets you off in the wrong foot a little bit because I I think that promises something that never returns. Yeah, yeah, I, I could say that. I would um. Weirdly enough, I, I, I just, this movie just has like a, for anyone that has spent any time or kind of lived back east in the, in, in the United States, I think that this movie captures the sort of main paranoia, you know, the West Virginia paranoia. There's like a lot of trees and, you know, it's, it, the season, there's like full seasons and I, I just, it just has a yeah. feeling and I think that, that's what I look for in, in movies is things that just have a very like, like strong identity whether it's like a masterpiece or or not i i just i just think that this movie feels like this movie and and very few others feel like it Mm -hmm. i think that um this film does a lot of its most interesting work in its first half and obviously i I think that the kind of the point where i think i was kind of most intrigued by it is kind of like when uh john richard gears character kind of uh travels hundreds of miles without knowing it or kind of like without having realized it or under mysterious circumstances and when he starts to realize where he is and uh he stops at the house once his car breaks down 
Right. And uh, the exchange that he has there with uh, the the guy in the house, I think his name's Gordon. Gordon Will Patton. Oh, yeah, uh, Will, Will Patton. Yeah, who obviously was in Armageddon, which we covered way, way back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jen, Jen Wexler, yeah. Um, and and the, obviously after this kind of exchange, which I think all plays out really well, and then, Laura, of course, Laura Linney here as Connie Mills, the sheriff, yeah. shows up and gets, and he says that this is the third night in a row that John Richard Gere's been to his house. He's got no recollection of this. I think the what this sets up here, I think, is really, really interesting. I love the entire way that this bit plays out. I think it's probably, possibly my favorite sequence in the film. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's really good at, like, building paranoia. The For me, the film is, like, it's like a perfect silent hill movie now silent hill was another choice that you had kind of thrown into the mix I yeah i i i there i okay so i again here we go i, I like films about like a certain like place right. and like things are off um i think silent hill definitely um i think is the best video game adaptation and it, it has loads of atmosphere and i also think right now it's sort of getting its second wind um i think people are now like in the states at least the um, scream factory released a special edition yeah, blu-ray of it yeah. Yeah. i've seen people talking about it you know for the last few months just about like whoa wow this is actually really good um i just i i thought the mothman prophecies is just like a weird movie that deserved a little you know like a, a little bit of a of a second wind yeah a little bit of love but i don't mind telling you josh i love silent hill <laughs> Oh, it's so it's so fucking good. It's so good, and like, you watch this thing, which is like a it's like a fifty sixty million dollar Hollywood epic with huge sets and huge monsters, and you know, like a list talent, and it just it's just really cool, and it like captures the spirit of those games one hundred percent, and it and it I mean, it's shot like the games which is crazy and there's like camera angles that are that, that are like it's like shot from like a perspective of like a fixed angle like the game it's, it's just a really it's a really cool movie and I, I don't i don't know i don't know i just don't think that like the, the regular like american uh, or worldwide audience was like well, okay what is this <laughs> josh i'm getting a strong feeling that you're gonna have to come back in a few months and do silent hill as well. <laughs> i'll come yeah, let's do Richard. Let's do Richard Kelly's The Box. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll see if when you win in uh, if you catch my my film. It, it it's I I like films about tone. Right. Um. Maybe more than um. You know, like gore or action or things like that. Even though I do I do love that too. I just like I love films that feel dense. Like that. Feel like that you could cut the the air in the film with like a knife you know yeah definitely so mitch i feel like you glossed over quite a fair amount there yeah the i kind of like, just die in a car crash she died mysteriously with a moth-shaped tumor in her brain yeah that's true i did i did gloss over that that's yeah, quite that's kind of important yeah, i thought i would just touch on that again because this is kind of what sets him off kind of on his mission really is this yeah. is that the, the fact that his wife has died and she has a moth-shaped tumor in her brain and she's been drawn moths she's not just another statistic mitch he feels like there's a deeper meaning to this so yeah that's that's kind of the catalyst for him heading off but sorry carry on no 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 that's fine that's worth touching on <laughs> uh, like i i agree but yeah once we've kind of we've got our kind of who are going to be your kind of main players established here because you've got klein uh richard gear and you've got connie yeah uh laura linney and uh gordon bo Patton. Mm-hmm. uh to this point that um connie says that she's had kind of multiple reports of residents in uh this town point pleasant yes yeah who have yeah. um who've been see- seeing things i think that um this I, when they're doing the kind of 
whistle-stop tour of the people in the town who have seen things and they're kind of telling their own stories. I think that, one, this is probably the point where it feels it has the most of kind of like a TV feel to it, but I also think it's where it does quite a lot of its best work for me. It's weird. I think a lot of movies from that time had a sort of like TV procedural vibe. Yeah. I, I don't... I don't know what that is, but like in the in the from from like 1999 to like 2003, I just feel like we got like these weird holdover movies that sort of felt like cable television, even though they you know they had like massive budgets and all star casts. There's just like a lot of stuff there that <laughs> feel feels like that. Like it could be like the pilot to like a television show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I think that some of this stuff definitely has that vibe. It yeah, it, it's very um sort of yeah. I mean, it's very X Files. Honestly, it's just it it feels like the X Files. Um, it feels like an X Files case of the week, which I, I don't know. Are you are you guys X Files fans? I am. Yeah, I very much am. Um, and like I say, that was that was one of the strongest feelings that was invoked in me watching this. I was like, fuck. I mean, I'm I'm just going to come out and say it. I think the Mothman prophecies is maybe an hour, uh, half an hour too long. And uh, yeah, I feel like it would have been served better as part maybe part of a, a, a bigger picture piece but i'm sure I, I can't think offhand but i'm sure the x-files have done very kind of similar monster of the week things to this yeah i i, I i'm usually of the camp that i think most movies are like 30 minutes too long <laughs> uh, i like give me like a good you know 85 95 minute movie yeah. and we're give me a good I, I like to like get in yeah, I like to get in and like live in a world and then kind of get out mm-hmm. before it loses its charm. Um, it, it also makes it when like masters, you know, like Tarantino and people when they can make these like three hour epics that feel like an hour and a half. Like then I really like I really get down for that. Yeah. But yeah. two hour, two hour. Like uh, I think the Mothman prophecies is like an hour and fifty nine minutes. Just like cut that shit down. Just, <laughs> It feels like an like, awful lot of the runtime is padded with Richard Gere being on the phone. Yeah, there's a lot of him being on the phone. <laughs> and, and and furiously flicking through notebooks. I, I like people being on the phone, but I like to keep my phoning under 80, 80 minutes. We're yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, actually, I didn't, realize that, I, I didn't realize that my most common criticism of um, films, even films that I like, apparently, I didn't realize this until it was pointed out to me, that very often I'm like, yeah, it was, I liked it, but it was like maybe 15, 20 minutes too long. You've said that countless times on this podcast. Aye. Yeah, I think you could supercut that. I think that, But I didn't realize that that was something that bothered me until I realized how many of the films that I've really loved over the last few years come in at something like 85, 90. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah 100 percent. just just, just with, um how long is i trapped the devil <laughs> uh 82 minutes my man <laughs> yeah 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 it, i i i love i love my movie it's it's a bit of a slow burn but i definitely uh the, when i like watch it now being you know removed from the edit i'm like fuck i could have cut five minutes out of this we could have been <laughs> seven, we could have been 78 minutes it have been great just get in and get out you know it's like I, I had this clock, you know, where I like I'm like watching a movie, and I could be in a the theater, I could be anywhere, and like all of a sudden I'm just like, huh, it's been an hour and a half, and and you just you just know, and then <laughs> I basically am like, where are we at right now? Second act, third act, like, is it like when your body wakes you up for work on days when you're not working? Yeah, I it I it all stems from this uh, screening of Transformers Four. <laughs> okay, that's. That's the uh that that was when I started to notice this because that fucking movie 
it had been like two hours, and I'm sitting in the theater in IMAX being like pummeled by metal sound. <laughs> and uh, Bumblebee and, you know, Mark Wahlberg and uh, Stanley Tucci are, you know, saving fucking Chicago. They're blowing everything up. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. This is, you know, this has actually been pretty decent. But, you know, they're blowing up Chicago. It's the big climactic finale. And then I swear to fucking God, like the Mothman, it just came out of nowhere. I just like had this image in my head. It was like, oh shit, there are no dinosaur robots yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fucking movie went on for like an hour and a half more. And they like go to China and there's like dinosaur. And yeah, yeah, that's when I that's when I knew I never wanted to make a movie over a hundred minutes long. <laughs> I love the fact that you can tie that to a specific experience. <laughs> I I can, man. It's I fucking I just remember so clearly just being like, oh shit, there's no dinosaurs yet. Fuck, and fuck, just, fuck. I, I just, yeah, I just felt like I had been like punched out by you know Muhammad Ali or something. It's like, oh fuck, like what's going on? <laughs> by the way, on the flip side of that though, I've I've been watching films even for this podcast. I won't name any of them. But uh, I, when I have went, oh, fucking hell, man, we must be near the end here. And I know you've done the same, Mitch, and it's maybe an 80-minute film, and I've looked at the clock, and we're half an hour in, uh, 40 yeah. minutes in, and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what happens with, uh, well, for me, it's when, it's when indie films are um, long, it usually has to do with acting. I, I, I don't believe the acting, so I don't believe the character's plight. Right, yeah. Which which is kind of just I don't know I, that that that's sort of what gets me down on these things is uh, you know you you can't do have like eighty minute films and it's just it's just how much I care about the actors and you know if if there's something going on that is interesting you know mm-hmm. yeah I I like slow films so uh, I kind of again like my my film is it's it's a slow movie it's a slow burn it's, it's much more of like a psychological thriller than it is a straight horror movie. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I think the acting is, is really, really strong, and so you know that's what you're watching. You're watching them make interesting, just like choices. Yeah, yeah. And that's not for every. It's not for everybody, but you know. It's certainly for me. That yeah, sounds, tend- that sounds fine to me. Tends to be what I go for as well. Um, just to take a really outlandish step and cycle back to the modern prophecies. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, we get kind of, I think it's, it's around about this time that we get this kind of proper look at the the prophesizing and the prophetic thing. Prophetic the, nature of the, the Mothman. Yeah. Um, when uh, Richard Gere Klein is um, accosted in the street by Gordon, uh, who says that he's had this, um, this voice in his head saying 99 will die. And pretty soon after this, Klein is in a diner and he sees on the news that 99 people have died in a plane crash. Yeah. I, I just, I love that shit. I love that, like, you don't see these things it's 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 incidental yeah it's it's just uh for me it's so atmospheric you know and and like obviously you know when the character says that 99 are gonna die 99 are gonna die in the movie and you know i I think if that didn't happen i don't don't know what the writer would be thinking but um (laughs) i i just i i like that it's not played up like a big like event i i remember there's a, a nick cage movie called knowing okay, okay. like which yeah which is which is i haven't seen that movie you know in 10 years but it, it shows all of these events and I, I like that this is this film kind of looks at it in more like a like a psychological study it's more just yeah, about proving that this character you know knows something that he shouldn't or or that the hit what basically like his prophesies whatever are are not bullshit i I think that's 
very interesting, very different than usual. I mean, the, the Hollywood way is to usually like show a lot of this stuff, you know. It's um not something that occurs to me, but now you've said it, that is kind of interesting because I think that obviously you hear about a couple of things like this that are, like you say, they're kind of left kind of unexplored. And I think that when to jump ahead to the ending with the bridge collapse, that oh, that is so good. But you all, that almost feels like but it's that sequence hits harder for them having held out on the others. Oh yeah, 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 it's, yeah, definitely. You just know something bad is coming, and I, I like that. You know, at the end of the movie, it's not like a mo- like a you know a giant monster. I just think it's so satisfying that like the the horror of this is that this bridge fucking collapses and kills you know thirty six people. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded though, in fairness, seeing a, a kind of giant evil Mothra annihilating Point Pleasant. Yeah, yeah, he's just just chewing at the. Uh, <laughs> See, in fact, I was going to say something about the bridge collapse, but we'll save it to when we actually get Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, uh, there's kind of like, we're kind of getting dreams and prophecies coming thick and fast at this point. <laughs> Connie mentions that she has had one as well, and the message that she got was wake up number 37. Yep. Uh, which again is kind of seeded and would be weird if it wasn't explored later and it obviously in the fullness of time it is also at this point we uh this is this is where the like the mythology starts to get a little foggy for me um in that um gordon comes back speaks to klein again and says that the previous night he had been confronted by the being that was telling him all this stuff, Indrid Cold. Indrid Cold, yeah so can i can i get um uh can i get a kind of cliff notes on Indrid Cold's proximity to the mothman what is this how does this work well i don't know i i cause i <laughs> i feel that right, might have been the answer because i was about to say something and i was like i actually no you don't. say you say what you say and then i'll i'll uh, i'll think about it well, well I, 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 see this is a thing because when i went to say it, it immediately dawned on me that i don't have a fucking clue <laughs> i did not expect this to be such a can of worms <laughs> it's it's a it's so bizarre i i always just assumed that laura linney's character was was supposed to die yeah yeah she was yeah she, yeah she was supposed to be like the well, i don't know what would it be like the 37th, 37th or something yeah, yeah. to die and then yeah because she yeah she doesn't die at the end it, it's been a minute since i've seen this that's yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah you're, that, right. you're absolutely right uh richard gear does save her but uh, i believe indrid cold to be the physical manifestation of the mothman right right okay that kind of tracks yeah yeah that's yeah that's kind of basically i i feel like richard gear is has basically been um sort of like a like a wrench in the thing's plan it's it's all for me it's all very like final destination yeah yeah um, yeah that was another thing we touched on as well but uh, it's interesting that you say that it's almost as if richard gear's been getting in, getting in yeah exactly obstructing the mothman being the the thorn on his side the the gerbil in his ass if you like <laughs> yeah no i quite like that for a theory like i that's that's something that i would just would not have considered at all and um yeah, it, no, i do like that yeah, and I mean, at, at the end, there's this kind of bit about how, like, you know, the Mothman has been seen in other parts of the world, but not in Point Pleasant ever again. So it, it's just this sort of, like, world-trekking, like, prophesizer of doom, which for me, I always, I, I never, like, I never imagined it just being, like, a, you know, like a giant moth guy. I just always thought of it as, like, a, like a UFO. Mm. But yeah, yeah, just a kind of nondescript force. Yeah, an abstraction. Yeah. Yeah, they just sort of got this image which, you know, you say the Mothman and think of like a giant again like a giant moth monster, but I just, you know, it's like a Rorschach image. Yeah. 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 I didn't 
you, there's a scene this is kind of the start of when the film kind of miles itself and Richard Gere being on the phone yeah um, <laughs> but Indrid called well Gordon calls him with Indrid called in the house with him like by his side and I, I was immediately like fuck I need to turn the subtitles on here I could not make out I had, I had no fucking idea what Indrid Calder was saying. Yeah, we had a real sticking point with this. Um, there, we watched this on uh, Amazon Video in the UK, and we had, we both had a really hard time figuring out what Indrid Calder uh, was saying. <laughs> oh, man. Um... <laughs> I, I don't... I, look, Josh, I don't expect any answers here. <laughs> yeah, but, I was like, uh, I, I don't know. But it, it, felt, but... it felt important. Yeah, no, we're, uh, yeah, we're not looking. We're not looking to you for answers here or explanations. <laughs> what he was saying felt I, important. I just felt like I was really, just really disappointed. I had no fucking clue what he was saying. See, I thought that when they, when they got the call, it was basically like telling him like something had happened with Gordon, and that's when they like go out and find Gordon. Of course, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, because yeah, because um. They find they find Gordon out in the cold, um, dead from exposure, having died eight hours ago. The call that had apparently come from Gordon had come an hour previous to this. I think yeah. is what yeah. it said. Yeah, again, again, again. I like this kind of thing. This kind of that kind of like vaguely ur- urban legend. The calls coming from inside the house thing, where you get kind of a little bit of a stinger at the end of a set piece like that. They do that two or three times in this film, though. But it's like <laughs> <laughs> where someone something will someone will phone and then he'll turn up somewhere and. The phone call hasn't come through yet. He'll get the phone call. He'll come through while he's there and deliver him or something. <laughs> like, uh, it's yeah. They, they they use that same device in different ways quite a few times in the film. There are only two phone calls in "I Trap the Devil," just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, like it's like I, I don't ha- I don't have a I don't have a like a maximum. Like there's no like <laughs> I do, and at the top of the so, end so is Mothman. It's a. <laughs> I definitely uh. It's it's just so weird, and I I like it because it's it's just so fucking weird. And we're in like this kind of age where you know people are are celebrating fucking like Blood Diner and and yeah, things like yeah. that. You know, I'm just like, yeah, please pay attention to this weird moth movie about like a bridge collapsing. Like, it, it's it's just a weird fever dream of a movie. It's like for me, it just feels like you've like dreamt this, and um. You know when you wake up from a dream, and I think yep. it, I think it, there's a term for it, like uh, it's like a fuego state or something like that. Oh yeah, I yeah. probably just, I just butchered that. But um, I believe it's fugue. Fugue. There you go. Whenever I think I'm being clever, I'm often wrong. And it's the, corrected the, by a listener. The, the listeners week. will uh, will tell me that I'm an asshole. I am famous for pronouncing everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Any word. I mean, give me you know color, and it, I'll pronounce it wrong. I <laughs> but yeah, it just, the whole film just feels like you've like woken up from a dream, and then the, the sort of details of it are kind of hazy, and it, it it doesn't really like click or like make sense. And I, I guess that's why it, what drew me to it. You know, I, I think maybe a general audience doesn't want that per se, but I, I like I like things that are a little bit out of the ordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go on. I want to talk about when Deborah Messing starts turning up as a ghost. Ghost wife, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no movie is complete without a ghost wife. <laughs> <laughs> Her message when she turns up is, I want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking haunt me then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, he's hallucinating or I guess being visited by his dead wife that's, you know, telling him to 
to move on with his life as as he's like she like leaves behind all of his her fucking crazy drawings about like a giant moth monster. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine, you know, like he's on a date with somebody else, and then she just appears, being like, "Compliment her shoes." Don't mind me; I'm not even here. You do you. Deborah, Deborah Messing isn't real. <laughs> By the way, I, I actually think that on the whole, the kind of main cast in this are pretty good. Yeah, it's 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 one of those. I keep saying it's like one of those weird, like early two thousands movies where it just feels like. I don't know why in like the early 2000s, like late nineties, like acting all across the board was just very different. It, it maybe isn't quite as real. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like as time goes on, movies become a bit more nuanced. Cause I guess what was the norm in, you know, like the nineties and the eighties has is now kind of hokey. And, um, even this, you know, some of the acting is, is kind of like, like the, you know, they're having sex and the realtor is just like, you're going to buy the house? You know? <laughs> if you just own it, you've bought it. <laughs> yeah, it's like in the closet, too. <laughs> real. Like, it's like I a mean, weird directorial choice. I really like Will Patton. There's a real kind of, and it's the same in Armageddon when he kind of plays the, the loser whose wife only comes back to him at the end because he's famous. I feel that he's a very sympathetic actor, and I really like that about him. But I believe Will Patton's character 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. Will Patton's fucking great. And uh, funny enough, like I really didn't love the new Halloween movie. Uh, but but I actually, Will- n- neither did either of us, actually. No, we didn't either. Yeah. I think it's a kind of a mess, and uh, but I really like Will Patton in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's great. He, he, he gets that kind of like... This is my town, sheriff thing. It's like a just a trope that has been so overused, and um, he still he still kind of like makes it fresh and believable. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, he's he's great in everything. Also, I mean, I really like Richard Gere too. He really hasn't been in very much of late. No, at true. least not that I know of. Maybe he's just you know getting older. His acting in this film is predominantly it's kind of squinting. He's just yeah. squinting. Yeah, but like, I, 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 he's 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 strong. Yeah, no, I think. Like, yeah, yeah. He, like he doesn't do much wrong. Can we talk about the elephant in the room when we were watching this? I uncovered something that I didn't know, and I didn't know certainly that it was ingrained in you with this amount of venom. Yeah. Um. I really, really don't like Laura Linney. I never have. In this. Uh, just in general. Or, um. Just I just, general. It's just. It's just. It's just one of those things. Uh. You know, like when just uh you find someone's general presence in something kind of off-putting <laughs> or kind of yeah like um it's, it's like i i understand that she's good and everything like but um it's just it's something that i always struggle with to the point that it kind of threatens to take me out of things and it's no fault of the films but like um <laughs> but it's just it's uh yeah it's something that it's but i think that performance wise everyone is good here but i think that yeah that's just it's it's a it's a stumbling block that's entirely my hang-up yeah, savage. Yeah. Well, no, this way it is. I, I think no. I mean, I think you're sort of on the money. Like I, I um, I just don't. It's, it sounds so mean. I, I just like I don't like Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, okay. I, just, okay. I, I don't like her in anything, and it doesn't matter how good she is. I just always, I'm always kind of like, yeah, no, not I'm just. I can never just get into her. So yeah, I, I, I understand that it's not really their talent. It's just yeah, it's you know, yeah, it's them. just there's something that something about them that you just can't gel with. Yeah, I can't. I I can't. I mean, I've seen her in so many things, but I can't really. I can't tell you any performance of Laura Linney's that I just like fucking driving home for. The best film <laughs> she's ever been in is Congo. Congo. Yeah, I don't. Oh yeah, Congo. There you go. <laughs> no, because when I think of Congo, I think of Practical Talking Gorilla. Amy, good gorilla. 
Fuck off, you weird guy. You weird guy and your weird girlfriend, Garella. That fucking movie just, like, scared the ever-loving shit out of me as a child. (laughs) And an absolute powerhouse performance from Tim Curry. Oh, my God. Just the big fucking white gorillas. Oh, worth mentioning, I've just turned a page in my notes here, and it says, holy shit, there's 37 minutes left. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. I want to touch on actually one of the kind of elements of it that i find kind of confounding and i think if you were going to be cutting anything out to hit that magical 95 minute spot then i think it might be this it's the general presence of um uh, alexander leek who is a little bit too much of a dr cliff notes for my liking (laughs) um but yeah yeah in fact yeah i'll just i'll just leave it at that for now and open up the floor alan bates yeah he's just out there just being like this is what this is you know, I, I I think a lot of times with these um these kind of movies, the 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 more vague it keeps, the the, the kind of proceedings, the the more atmospheric and the better it gets. And so yeah, you know, the kind of cliff notes aspect of it is uh, <laughs> a little. I just feel like they have to do that for like oh, a I, you know, yeah. it's like a thirty two million dollar movie. You need to give people some inkling of what they're dealing with, and it's Bates' Bates's job here to kind of tell us that the Mothman's been around for years, it's been in cave paintings, like, there's no way to stop it, there's nothing you can do. But the whole time, as good as Alan Bates is here, I wanted them to be Brian Cox, and I kept hoping it was going to be Brian Cox. Yeah, yeah, Brian, Brian Cox is the best. I, I watch him in everything. I, I just watched him in uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe. Great I film. That. Yeah, superb. He's so good. And like I love that he, he, you know, he'll go, you know, he'll go from playing Winston Churchill to playing, you know, um, it just. Let's not I like I like actors that sort of seem unpretentious. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's not forget he's our first Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, very true, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Oh, yeah, I I actually just watched. I um, I picked up Thomas Harris's new book Kari Mora, and read that, and then was like, I need. I went back and watched Manhunter, and it's yeah, he's he's so good in it, and he's in the movie for about five minutes. Okay. <laughs> it's a fucking amazing film. Can I just say before we continue, this is definitely the furthest reaching conversation that we've ever had in the oh, show. No, we've touched on many things, many many things. The <laughs> it's a good thing. Yes. Um, one thing that I like, and like I say, I think that the the I understand the necessity for the kind of Cliff Notes character presence. Um, uh, you see it everywhere and i think that once you notice it as a trope you really can't unsee it so i think that when when he showed up i was like oh here we go um here's the kind of man here's the kind of instruction manual on this but one thing that i do like is um and something that i hadn't considered until this point is that he kind of introduces the the not necessarily the theory but the question about whether or not the fact that uh, the mothman is prophesizing all these uh massive disasters i'm talking about whether or not its intentions are evil or good like whether whether it's kind of like it's uh, kind of like an ominous or foreboding or a scary premonition, or if it's kind of um, trying to ward people off of something. For me, I always thought it was kind of like an, uh, an omnipotent force. It was basically sort of forecasting things that couldn't be undone. Really? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. And that that is sort of like my my take on it that it it isn't good or bad. You know, it's not physically sort of doing yeah. you know the events themselves. Yeah, it's not basically just. Yeah, no, it, it it has no, like, play in that. It just is a signifier for events that are to come. If it was benign or malignant, um, if it was truly malignant, it, why would it bother prophesying at all? It would just let shit happen. 
So, yeah. so wait, you you believe that it is malignant? No, I, I'm I'm coming down on the same side of the line as you, but I believe that it's it's neither one thing or the other. It just happens to be. But I, I guess to to kind of set the question of whether it's benign or malignant to bed would be if it was truly bad, then it wouldn't bother telling you at all. Yeah, it wouldn't give you any clues. It would just let stuff happen. Because as we see, later, like towards the end the prophecy does allow for people to be saved. I, I don't know. Yeah, it definitely has it. just this kind of like omnipresent creature that, uh, it, I don't know, if, if, if you like this movie, which it kind of, I, I don't know, it, I, I, I realize it's not for everybody, but the book by John Keel is very interesting and it's very um, uncomfortable and, and it's like it's like a good like summer read for like early fall read just about sort of unexplained phenomena and that's yeah i mean it's, I one, like, of, it's one of the most well-known kind of most famous book on kind of cryptids and cryptozoology that's out there so i mean it's what exa- what exactly is cryptozoology i i've, I've seen crypto- <laughs> yeah around. I, I don't know anything cryptozoology is the study of cryptids uh creatures that may or may not be legend they may be myth they may in fact be real um it's the study of creatures of myth and lore indeterminate origin yeah things like this and things like jersey devil things like chupacabras and things like bigfoot and all that crap there we go i did the fiji the fiji mermaid (laughs) every day is a school day on this show man yeah yeah but uh oh another another movie that sort of fits into the weird kind of things that um remind me of this uh did you ever see the the it was like a kind of a documentary it was called the um the nightmare oh was oh, this um, the one about uh, sleep paralysis yeah sleep paralysis yeah yeah that uh, again is kind of like one of those movies that sort of fits into this for, at least for me anyways the the kind of tone that this thing is just about like an unexplained phenomena that yeah i, I don't i don't know that was a an interesting documentary mm mm-hmm, mhm I would even say that more kind of straight narrative style films like the Blair Witch Project fit in nicely with this as well. Yeah, I love. I have a, I have a Blair Witch Project tattoo on my leg. Um, <laughs> it's like one of my it's like one of my favorite movies ever. So do I, I, I Josh. So do I. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I wish there are times where I like I, I love the sort of modern day, but I, I do wish there was a just a weird tone to the sort of nine like mid. Or, or like, kind of like 1993 to like again like 2002, where just the world wasn't as transparent as it is now. Mm. But because the internet had sort of come to fruition, there was still like people could could be connected. Yeah, it felt like there was a little bit of wonder with shows like the the X Files again and like Millennium. Yeah, well, like it's that. just like the the idea that these things could be out there and people on the internet could get they could. You know, you could talk, someone in, in the UK could talk to someone in Virginia about their experience, but, you know, it wasn't like fucking Twitter where you could, like, be like, oh, is the Mothman real? And there's, like, a bunch of people calling you an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, there was, the internet, could, it, could, it brought people together, but it, it, there wasn't, it was too fresh to become this sort of, like, be-all, end-all for knowledge that it is now, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... I, I I promise you I like I will tweet out and say, you know, oh I wonder if the Mothman's real, and then like thirty minutes someone will be like, are you fucking stupid? Or you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, and it, it 
it, it's true. There things are are very. It's too known. Like I, I loved like the late '90s because things like the Blair Witch Project was absolutely fucking terrifying back in. Its, well, I don't know. For me, it was. I was I was a kid. Hmm. But um, we like rented it right after it came out on VHS, and you put it in. You know, my buddy told me that this was a real movie, and I believed it. You know, I was fucking terrified of that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And. I don't think that can happen today because, you know, no. seven-year-olds can, like, Google, like, is the Blair Witch real? And, you know, they get, like, IMDb scores for it, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. I want to like I want to kind of start pulling this in towards the end. Um, but basically, um, Klein increasingly starts to look kind of like a crazy person here a little <laughs> bit. I always, um, like, because he gets a, there's a prophecy, I believe, earlier on in the film about um, a kind of disaster on the Ohio River. Sure, yeah. And then yeah. he kind of gets wind of the fact that a counselor or a... Governor. A governor, thank you, from the area is going to be doing a tour of a plant on there and stuff like that. He kind of frantically tries to intervene. He tries to get Connie to help stop this thing. And uh, she does nothing, which turns out to be the correct course of action. Nothing happens. And as a result, he kind of... He looks a little bit crazy. Um, like a lunatic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always think that um, uh, when people have... Like, it's... Whenever in films people have to invite like a hypothesis to someone that sounds crazy, they always intone it in a way that confirms their craziness. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, they, it, they're very. There's not the sort of like sane way of going and being like, "Hey, this giant moth creature is gonna forecast this uh, senator's death. We got to do something." No, he's running around like yeah. a fucking narrow-eyed madman with a pocket full of crayon drawings <laughs> of a moth. <laughs> <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually something that I like and it follows when Mike Abaro turns up at the start and she's like I'm being stalked by a sexually transmitted ghost and her pals are just like okay what do we do <laughs> yeah like that never happens I like it for that reason but uh, yeah but Klein's got a guy over there he heads home Connie kind of gets him to come back um, towards the end of this oh, it's I, Christmas yeah like, yeah because it's Christmas I think it's actually Christmas Eve when she tries to get him to come back at this point, I couldn't figure out what the relationship was with Connie and Klein and whether or not there was a romantic thing there or not because they spend an awful lot of time in this film in each other's personal space. And when he comes back, they're kind of like kind of touchy-feely and familiar. And I think that it's kind of like it's implied that something's going on there, but I think it's interesting that it's never explored or am I seeing things that aren't there? No, I mean, I definitely think they, they definitely are, are very close. I don't know what to <laughs> to sort of make of that because, you know, his, his wife has just died. In fairness, but, she's been dead for two years. Time to move on. Pastor's new. Yeah. yeah, especially when the fate of the world is in the is in the hands of a giant moth creature. You yeah. Don't want, <laughs> you don't want that, creep, that creepy ghost life hanging about when you're trying to... And you're, you're like trying to move on. Everyone's saying that like now you've seen this like giant thing that the world's going to end. So I mean, you might as well just have fun. Yeah, yep. you might as well bone down, grab Laura Linney yeah. and get into the closest cupboard <laughs> with your coworkers. <laughs> yeah, in, um, in, in, interpersonal mingling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's possibly the most surgical description of that that I've ever heard. <laughs> there you go. I think that uh, while at this point I was absolutely at my ringing phone saturation point, I do <laughs> think that like right before he leaves, when he says, "Oh, it's two. It's been two years to the day since she died," and Indrid Cold said she was going to call and stuff like that. Well, that I, is that what he said? I, yeah. Um, I, th- <laughs> I think that um, uh, when he's kind of like trying to get ready to go and the phone is ringing, I think that that's really cool. I think it's really effective. Because he's really feverish at the time, and I think that the phone ringing in this dead silence is really insistent and kind of cool. 
Um, it's probably, I think that, yeah, it, it somehow managed to turn me around on ringing rotary telephones when I thought I was done. It's definitely my favorite uh, phone ringing scene in the movie. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely in it's, my top 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the highs of this one are really high. Yeah, <laughs> no, but like to be no. In all seriousness, though, I think that like I think that as a kind of last display of the kind of like insular nature of his kind of madness, I think that that is a really good. That's a good set piece. I like the way it works. It, it's it's very um kind of unsettling. It's it, funny. It just sounds. It's so hard to sort of talk about this movie if you haven't seen this movie. Um, yeah, I'm going to be very curious to know what our listeners who haven't seen this make of this conversation. <laughs> They're just like phones and moth creatures and Transformers 4. <laughs> it's like the perfect movie to put on at like, at like 1 a.m. and just sort of like watch it and kind of like let it like wash over you a, a little bit. That That's something that, you know, this... I have a, an interesting... Uh, I have a, like an interesting like attraction to to movies that I think other people just think are boring. <laughs> okay. And and this this might be a, might be one of them. Um, yeah, and I I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know what the sort of general consensus of this is. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of people I a lot of people I talk to and like will bring it up. They really 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 like it as just kind of a tone poem. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I think like. We should maybe talk about the ending and then kind of talk about how this was received, because right. uh, I, yeah. I do know a little thing about a, a couple of things about that. But um, yeah, after he comes back, he ends up kind of uh, on a bridge in a traffic jam and gets a, a mothy whisper um, <laughs> about what's about to happen, um, and then the bridge collapses. And I, and I, um, I want to talk about this a bit because I think this is really cool. I think the entire way that it plays out, and actually, when you get the close up of like the screws coming loose and stuff, that's very Final Destination to my eyes. Oh yeah, it made me oh, want to yeah. watch part five immediately. Yeah, it, it it's also it's just a really good set piece too. I I know I re- I really like I really like I think the set piece for it is is pretty fantastic. And and it's like and I think we touched on this earlier, but it's like so bombastic compared to how kind of restrained the rest of the film has been in terms of like violence and um and kind of visual kind of visual unpleasantness. It it de- it definitely sort of lets loose a bit. Like, which I, I feel like it kind of had to. If nothing, I don't. I don't think if anything, uh, if anything actually happened like that, I think the movie would kind of be a, a total failure. <laughs> I think that it would definitely come off way, way more ponderous. I think if it didn't have a like a, a kind of proper spectacle ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it needs something. You know, it, it needs some sort of payoff, which is, I, I guess, one of my big issues with like a, um, you know, like a lot of indie movies is there just isn't really any payoff. So I think that it just it kind of gave you what the whole thing had sort of been building for. You know, something's going to happen. You don't really know what what's going to happen. But it's also it's also a real world event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So technically, the movie is is based on a true story, and it needed to sort of fit into that. And with this, uh, obviously, Connie Laura Linney is saved. No, she's not number thirty-seven. She's well, well, she is, but she wakes up. Oh, as, the, as the prophecy dictates, because we find out that 36 people died in this. And uh, again, I think that I, as a kind of like final, as a note to end on, I think that this is fine. I think in, I think in general, the way that probably about maybe the last 10 or 15 minutes of this play out is pretty good. And I think at that point, I was kind of fatiguing, I would say. <laughs> and I think it kind of turns it around a little bit, because um, I think that the ending is pretty spectacular. Yeah, yeah, it definitely pays off, and it, it, it works, too, which, you know, again, if that's something, 
if, if it didn't pay off, I, I just think the movie kind of would have fallen flat on its face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and with that, you know, like, we're out with the we exception are, yeah, of the fact yeah, that um, we, we hear that the Mothman was never seen again in Point Pleasant, but there's been sightings all over the world. And things and yeah and with that we're 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 done and um yeah. so to talk about um I kind of looked a little into how this film was received and um it made fifty five million dollars against a budget of thirty two mm. which is not bad um yeah so it made it made some money like it's not oh yeah 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 like it's I think it's like it's a, it's a pretty strong showing for a film called The Mothman Prophecies that is this like yeah. high concept I think no, like that, I, or that is this yeah like yeah. I, I I I think that like for one thing I think uh, there's just absolutely no way that a film with this premise I don't think could be made on this scale now oh no no way I just think it was like again like again like a time and a place sort of thing like the X-Files were huge and we were kind of there was that we were still at that kind of tail end of the conspiracy era mm-hmm and so I think that that's sort of where its money came from. Yeah, that's true. It's not just a case of getting a kind of eccentric story made on that scale. I suppose that you're right. It's kind of, it's very much kind of, uh, it's quite zeitgeisty for that kind of time, I suppose. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, and um, and for anyone who's interested, a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, I believe. So Pretty strong showing. Well, splitting down the middle. And like, and I can kind of understand why. Andy, any concluding comments on this? Um, do you know, there's a lot to like, but... I think like you and like we already touched on, it's too long. Mm-hmm. It runs out of steam quite dramatically, I'd say, towards the end of Act 2. But uh, I think it rallies round and puts on quite a decent showing towards the end. But for me, personally, it's just a wee bit too little, too late. Okay. I definitely agree that I think it's too long. Um, a lot of, again, like a lot of movies from like 2002 were, they, they all tried to be that two hour length. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, yeah, it, it's just, it's just too much, man. It's just, it's not efficient. Absolutely agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think that I'm, I'm gonna, I'm coming up slightly kinder, I think, than you are. But I think that I do still have some problems with it. Like, I think that a film, a film being too long is not just a criticism of runtime. It's like what it does with the time that could be cut. Yeah. And I think that's that, my problem. Yeah, and I think like I, I really like the way this film sets itself up. Like, say, performance-wise, I think that virtually nobody really puts a foot wrong here. Um, I think a lot of the kind of central mystery building stuff in the first act is great. I think that the ending set piece is great, and I think that it kind of dovetails the kind of mythology of it quite nicely. I think that the second act gets mired in over-explanation in a way that I think threatens to derail it completely, mm-hmm. but I don't think it does. Right. So I would say I came out like um I uh, yeah I'm kind of I'm kind of like a soft yes should be called the Mothman calls yeah I tell you I don't I don't want to like I don't want to <laughs> always end these episodes by pitching that the best format for doing this again would be a ten part anthology Netflix series but if you offered me that for all of the villagers who saw weird manifestations of things and added a few more I would be all in for that with this with the kind of central investigation of this film being the wraparound then you get the X Files. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah. exactly what you get. Well, that's yeah. what that is. Yeah, <laughs> you could, you could, yeah, uh, sorry. Just, Whoa, could... <laughs> Josh, I trap the devil. Your film is. Yes. Um, uh, it's playing at Fright Fest uh, in a few weeks. Uh, I'm going to be there. I'm really excited to see it. Um, this Me is too. one that I've been, or we've been following with a bit of interest since um, weeks and weeks ago and months back. We had uh, AJ Bowen on the show, and uh, he mentioned it then. Yeah. And um, it's something that kind of piqued both of our curiosities, and we've been kind of waiting for an opportunity to see it ever since. So it was kind of high on my list of things that I really wanted to see at Fright Fest, and I'm really excited that it's there and I'm going to get a chance to see it. But um, do you want to talk a little bit about the film, how it came together? Um, yeah, I just, I had 
I lived in Los Angeles and uh, basically went out to make a first feature and I, I made something that was kind of like an X-Files episode meets like Twin Peaks and it, it was big and we didn't have any money and it, it didn't really work out. And so I sort of kind of doubled back and spent a couple years just writing and looking for something that um, something that could be, you know, a little bit more contained. And I, I didn't want to make... I didn't want to make a movie, like sit down and say, okay, look, I need a movie that I can film in one house. I wanted to find a story I could sort of tell organically. And um, I had just been like dealing with some stuff. So I was like, ah, you know, cool. I could make this story about grief. And um, I I had, I did like, I was watching like a ton of Twilight Zone and uh, John Carpenter films. So like Prince of Darkness. And I just, I, you know, there's the old, Twilight Zone episode uh, where they, you know, they they trap the devil, and that's obviously a, a little bit, you know, I I've gotten a lot of comparisons to that, but yeah. that episode, you know, it takes place in a castle and it's about monks and it's it's a little bit, you know, like mustache twisting mm-hmm. kind of devilish, and uh, I, I was like, okay, cool, like the idea of like trapping the devil is 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 interesting. That's like a cool idea, and I I, I just. It's like, how do I, you know, how would I take that and put it in, into sort of like a domestic affair? Mm-hmm. And I just thought about Christmas and, you know, uh, having a kind of an estranged relative. And we basically just wanted to make like, like a Stephen King novel meets like, you know, like Black Christmas and, um, or like, and also like, you know, like Chevy Chase Christmas. Uh, it's, it's just this sort of fam, like it's a paranoid thriller for sure. It you know it has sort of the weird kind of conspiracy angle to it, and it, it's it's definitely just sort of like a tone poem. Yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah, like I say, this is, I'm, I'm, I I can't wait to see it. I'm 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 really looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't it, wait it, either. It made both of our top ten most anticipated films of the the whole festival. I'm I'm excited for you guys to see it. Um, it's it's still crazy for me because it did did come out in the states you know or yeah, a couple yeah. months ago that like. You know, there's people. I'll have people message me, and they'll, you know, they'll be like, "When can I see this?" And I, I think that's so crazy. It's also very exciting that you know you kind of get to go. I get to go to a new place and show it to new people that have never seen it. So, yeah, that's that that's awesome. exciting. Yeah, because you're you're coming over for Fright Fest, right? Yes, yes, I, I am. I am coming. I'm gonna come watch some really good fucking movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm excited for Bliss, and I'm excited for um, Come to Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I can't wait for Bliss. <laughs> Yeah, those are my those are my two main ones that I I'm just like chomping at the bit to see. Uh, Josh, where can people keep up with you on social media? I, I main, mainly do Twitter and mm-hmm. Instagram. Uh, my Twitter is I I am Josh Lobo, and my I think my Instagram is just Josh Lobo. But those are kind of my preferred social media choices yeah. yeah mine too mine too yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm glad we have some consensus on that point uh josh thank you so much for taking the time to do but, this yeah man this was this was an absolute riot i loved it yeah this <laughs> was a lot of fun yeah yeah that's, yeah that, th- that's thank you guys i it's, it's cool to really just talk about this like weird fucking movie and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm super stoked to come and hang out with you guys at fright fest and yeah we'll have a beer yeah 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 i'm i'm very excited okay <laughs> excellent josh Thanks, guys. take thank it easy man. man cheers bye now bye bye I don't mind saying that's one of my favorite chats we've had in a long time. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I I, I like a scattershot episode where it's not quite as 
regimented, yeah. shall we say. Yeah, uh, sometimes like being able to go a little bit off book. And a big thank you to Mr. Josh Lobo for letting us oh, do absolutely. that. Yeah. Coming on and talking the Mothman prophecies with us and also a little bit about I Trap the Devil. So if you're going to Fright Fest uh, this year, check that out because it looks and sounds so good. Yeah, cannot yeah. wait. But with that, I guess we're just about done for another one. Yeah, but, fuck. But we're never away for long. No, we're not. No. We will be back on Monday with another Minisode, Minisode 64. Yeah, you won't get an opportunity to miss us. No, that's true. That's yeah. true. We are relentless in that way. <laughs> um... Uh, yeah, we're back on Monday with Minisode 64. We'll be doing all the usual stuff. We'll be charting my progress or otherwise through the Shockwaves 100. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be taking a look at some of your feedback. And we've had some excellent feedback this week. <laughs> um, so getting into that, we'll be playing Mitch's Pitches and a whole load more. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram. We are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC or email longer considerations to stronglanguagevioluntscenes at gmail.com. And you know, while things are going well, I'm going to stop being a cunt and I'm going to say you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify. They're nice. <laughs> and our home, our host at Podbean and a whole raft of other places. Basically, wherever you want to listen, we are pretty much there. Basically everywhere. Basically, like we are a couple of moves away from turning up on your commute and talking directly into your face. Yeah, that would be for the Patreon subscribers <laughs> when we finally set that up. Uh, one thing I will ask though, listener, dear listener, sweet listener is that you uh, take the time to, uh, wherever you're listening, wherever it may be, just drop us a like, drop us a comment, drop us anything, just drop us a little message even, just saying good job, shite job, whatever. Uh, we just love hearing from people. We really do. We really yeah. Do. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.